everybody, Sean Sewell with the Engagement.com podcast. Welcome to another episode. And today's guest is actually a very, very awesome fitness and health mentor to me, is Michael Doc Hartle. I met Doc during the SFG this last summer and then did the SFL. Those are both through Strong First. And he is a wealth of knowledge, incredible coach, chiropractor, doctor, and just an all-around awesome person. So a lot of very good, useful information in his podcast. Um, for example, how to do a very, very effective plank, that hardle plank, among many, many other things in this podcast. So enjoy and take care. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Swift and podcast. Super excited to have on the show today a mentor to me from Strong First, uh, from the SFG and the SFL, um, Doc Hardle. Welcome to the show, Doc. Good morning, sir. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And um, just for reference, I have my manuals that Doc has been an uh, instructor for, for the SFG and the SFL recently. And um, you helped write the SFL program. Like, that's your baby, right? Yeah. So in 2012, uh, Pavel called me and uh, said, do I want to do this with him? I said, yeah. So we spent the next six months putting together the version one of the uh, SFL manual um, then last year we did version two and then this year we're coming out with version three here shortly. Oh, that's fascinating. And it's not a thin manual by any means. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of content there. It, uh, you know, it's kind of fun too. I think when I was doing the barbell cert with you, I didn't tell you until the last five minutes of the whole course that I had not touched a barbell in a lot of years. And, uh, I'm glad I didn't touch it until I got better instruction from you so I can properly go about it. So cool. I learned um, a lot from you in that course. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that. It's exactly what we want to hear at Strong First, regardless of which cert you go to. Mm -hmm. We want to hear that people learn a lot. And, you know, it's funny how a lot of people think they, they know how to do a lift or they know how to do this, whether kettlebell, bodyweight, barbell, whatever. Um, and they come to the certifications and all of a sudden their eyes just go... It's just like, not only do we get your physical muscle, but we also get that cerebral muscle between your ears uh, exercise uh, very strongly. Yes, sir. Very much so. And it, it, I love that about the Strong First curriculum. I mean, there's a lot of people who go into it who are very uh, well-versed and knowledgeable in fitness and health, and they go in, and humbling is not even the right word, but it's eye-opening, and it's yes. just really cool. So, Well, you know, you, you take your knowledge base, and let's say it's this big, all of a sudden you get taught this much, and it's just like, wow. Uh, so that's why I teach at the uh, Barbell Cert that, you know, this next week after the Barbell Cert, you know, take the week off from lifting, you know, not to say don't become a couch potato, but, you know, absorb that stuff. Let that stuff sink in and everything else. Have some ice cream. Enjoy life. You yes. Know, kiss your wife, kiss your husband, whatever else, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but you want to do that because you probably, you know, put some of that stuff to the side before the certification, get ready for the certification. So um, that's why, you know, there's so much stuff that you learn, whether it be again, the kettlebell, bodyweight, barbell, either all three of those that you just basically absorb it and trying to get it soaked in is uh, difficult when you just learn for three days. So you need to have that week after to allow yourself to do that. That's great advice. And I, I love that your, uh, your go-to for recovery is ice cream. That was pretty funny to hear. <laughs> I, I opted to go for pizza. So it worked pretty well too. Well, you know, pizza, ice cream, chocolate chip cookies, Guinness beer. Those are some of the uh, vices of my life that uh, I don't have a whole lot of, but when I do, trust me, I enjoy it. I, I can dig that. I do like stats too. And I try and justify it by saying they have antioxidants in them too. Mm -hmm. And it tastes great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, right. Doc. Well, um, how do you go about creating a curriculum as dense and as well 
put together as the SFL? Well, when Pablo and I first did it, we uh, basically kind of put together the exercises that we were going to put in it. We kind of agreed upon that, and then we basically went and started uh, diving into it. So uh, Pablo had his exercises he wanted to write. I had mine I wanted to write. So I, you know, I kind of dived into my powerlifting background. So obviously, I knew the back squat, the bench press, the deadlift very well. Pablo knew the deadlift and the zercher squat. Uh, I knew front squat fairly well. So did he. So we basically had a lots of emails going back and forth and everything else as far as, you know, I want this, want that, everything else. He doesn't want this, I want that. So just a lot of things going back and forth. Um, and then we literally got done. The first cert was in June of 2013 in uh, Vincenza, Italy, which is about 40 miles west of Venice, uh, Italy. And uh, we probably got done right in the manual sometime, I think, April. You know, March or April, obviously, it's a few years ago we did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to go to print and everything else. So, um, you know, over the f- period of about five years, we had a lot of things that we, you know, we kind of subtracted, we added and everything else. And then that's where version two came out last year um, and everything else. And so we reorganized the manual a little bit and put some different things in different places. And it really t- tended to smooth out the teaching aspect. But just like anything else you do, it's like, uh, you know, when I opened my first chiropractic clinic, you know, things were definitely rough around the edges. Now <laughs> yeah. things run very smoothly. You know, I'm sure in your business as well, too. You know, when you first open it up, it's like rough. But then you start adding things. You subtract things. Now you got version five and things are working very well. That's well put. And you're right. A lot of people probably listen to the show are in the fitness industry or entrepreneurs. And nobody, if they're being honest, hits the ground running. They just, it's not an option. That's right. That's That's wonderful. So the curriculum you and I went through was version two and then version three comes out here in 2020. That's the plan. Yes. So that's the plan. So it's kind of a hush hush thing at this point, but until it comes out, but uh, yes, that's the idea. Oh, I love it. Um, The first strong first certification I did was the SFG in 2015 with, I think, Zara Horton. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what a great instructor. And what blew my mind is at the end of that course, he mentioned that it was rendition 20 something. Is that right for the SFG manual? I think when I've kind of lost count, but I think when Pavel created strong first, I think he was already on 23 or 24 as far as number of editions when he created strong first. Um, So he kind of continued on after that. So it's just, you know, you do, you do certain things with the kettlebell, you know, barbell and body weight, all the same thing that, all of a sudden you start saying, okay, this doesn't work quite so well. So let's tweak it a little bit to the left here or to the right. And then all of a sudden that works and that goes in there. And so you do all these different things with that. And, you know, with things that worked before, let's say, okay, we, we uh, obviously technology changes, uh, human buys and our minds change. So with all that stuff, you start, you know, going things a little bit different direction. Obviously we have certain standards. We still want to be able to have the students apply to. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we tweak those standards as well too. Uh, so, you know, everything is kind of in flux. You know, when you look at when I went through the my first kettlebell certification in 2006, you know, the testing standards at that time are different than the testing standards now. You know, uh, I would like to think they're for the better. Uh, hopefully yeah. everyone else agrees with me with that. Um, but we've said, OK, we did this for a while, but you know, let's let's turn it paid to a right turn here and let's do something a little bit different. And it uh, seemed to have worked out better. Um, for example, when we did the snatch test back in 2006. Uh, we had to do for my men, my size, we had to do the 24 kilo, 74 reps. Uh, you could do one uh, hand switch and you could never set the bell down. Wow. So most people did it 74 divided by two is 37. So 37 left, 37 right or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. But you can never set the bell down. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
and if I remember right, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think I remember right, there was no time limit with it. But I don't remember, there may have been some other, some small uh, rules regarding how long you can hold it at the top position or whatever else type thing. Yeah. But, you know, for resting period. But again, that was the rule. So then they eventually went down to, I think it was 2010 or 2009, where they went to 100 reps for five minutes. And that's where we're currently at with that. And you can, of course, you can set the bell down as many times as you want. You can do as many hand switches and everything else. Um, but that seemed to be working better a lot, a lot right now. I would agree with that. I've gone through the IKFF one and two several times, and they seem more based on the older version of what you're saying, where it's mm-hmm. nonstop doing the swings, snatches, all the things like nonstop. So I prefer the strong first method for sure. Yes. It's, uh, safety and better performance. Well, when I trained for this newer snatch test standard, um, I took it, I took it as approach, like a powerlifting approach. I mean, I created five sets of 20, which is a hundred reps. So basically I trained my repetition. So I did, you know, I would do uh, first round. I do 10 left, 10, right. Set the bell down. That'd take me about 40, between 38, 40 seconds. You know, then I'd rest for those 20, 22 seconds until the top of the minute. And then I start again. And then I do that. And I trained myself to the point where I, I was conditioning-wise strong enough uh, to actually be able to last those 20 seconds. I mean, by the time I was to 80 reps, yes, I was starting to breathe a little heavier and everything else, but I didn't feel exhausted. And I remember when I set the bell down after I did my 80th rep, people were by me going, pick the bell up, you got to do it, and everything else. They're freaking out. And I'm just yeah. like, I had to put my blinders on, and I just did my last 20 reps, and I finished at 441. Wow. So I'll tell you that. So I actually have an article coming out for Strong First uh, here shortly uh, regarding that. I look forward to reading that. You have great articles, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, very, very <laughs> helpful. Um, speaking of snatch stuff, I, I had Alex on here last month and he was talking about the double breath and even the triple breath. Did you incorporate mm-hmm. any double breath in your snatch protocol? Uh, double breath, yes. Cool. Uh, triple breath, no. To me, and, and I love Alex, don't get me wrong, to me, mm-hmm. it's like too much work, too much yeah. thinking. Um, but again, I would do double breath. Yes. Cool. I'm all about the double breath too. It's, it just makes more sense to me, especially for higher reps. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Oh, this is, this is gold nuggets of training. So anybody listening to this is going to get some really good Intel from doc. Really cool. (laughs) I love it. Well, let's talk about you. What, what got you into health and fitness in the first place? Well, when I was in, uh, I went to a Catholic grade school in high school in Minnesota. Um, my high school had a weight room that was about maybe 10 foot by 10 foot, had a universal machine and a bench press. And a lot of people who are younger may not know what a universal machine is, but basically it had I think, five or six stations around it. Um, you had no cables, just handles and everything else, like a bench press and a, and a military press, all those different things on there, pull-ups um, and a bench press. And I remember going in there when I was like a, a freshman. And I saw a guy bench press and he put uh, 135 on the bar, 145 on each side. But hey, that's pretty cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I went ahead and benched it and I did it like two reps. The second rep, I got it to about just like six inches off my chest and I stopped. But I didn't have collars on, so I had to tip the bar and tip the bar to, you know, get the bar off my chest. Yeah. Um, so I never went to the weight room the rest of that year. I was embarrassed. There's yeah. like one other kid in there, but still, you know, I was embarrassed. And then eventually my uh, senior year, uh, when I started to grow, I was five foot four as a freshman. And then I ended up being six one as a senior. So I grew nine inches. Wow. I was what we call a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I got, after I graduated, I started uh, getting together with some friends who worked at a grocery store with me, we went to a gym. We started doing some training. They went away to school in the fall. I stayed, I went to the University of Minnesota. 
and everything else. Um, and I started doing some training and joining a gym called the Elite Gym. It was owned by Dale Valancourt, Dan Carlson, Jerry Jones in Minnesota, who were huge powerlifter names uh, there. And uh, so they started, I said, I wanted to get into powerlifting. And they said, okay. So they started showing me how to back squat, how to bench press, how to deadlift and everything else. And uh, a year later after that, I lifted in my first powerlifting contest. So, you know, my goal is to weigh over 200 pounds. I remember the first day I stepped on the scale and it said 201. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, wow, that's cool, you know. And uh, eventually I got up to, well, last year was my heaviest, about 285, 286, um, everything else. Um, now I lost some weight. I'm down about 260 right now. Um, but I'm feeling good, doing good and everything else. Um, but then after that, I hurt my back when I was deadlifting. And people go, wait a minute here, you, you coach powerlifting, you, uh, you do the SFL and everything else. How did you, you hurt yourself? And I said, well, obviously they showed me how to deadlift, but I just like take everything they did. They told me, uh, into a true form. So I ended up hurting myself and I went and saw a chiropractor. A friend of mine recommended me to an orthopedic surgeon, but I wanted to do it more natural. So I went to a chiropractor, uh, he fixed me and everything else. Nine months later, I lifted in my first powerlifting contest and, uh, did fantastic, uh, so I kind of, I was at that point gearing toward electrical engineering as a major. I went to University of Minnesota for that. And then about three fourths of the way through that, I also just had this epiphany one morning as we do as young 20 year old men um, to go into chiropractic. So I switched gears and I got my uh, biology undergrad, went to Northwestern uh, Health Sciences University, which is in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. I graduated from there. Moved to Green Bay for a couple of years, worked for some doctors over there. Uh, we wanted to buy a practice, so I moved down to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I'm still here at the same practice 24 years later. Wow, 24 years, same practice. That's yeah, incredible. 20, been a doctor for 26 and been uh, practicing for 20, uh, 26 and then here at the clinic for 24 years. So That's impressive. Quarter century. Good yes. for you. Yep, yeah, that's yep. very impressive. So. Uh, the, the gym I train out of, the owner of it's a physical therapist, and he's had it for 15 years. And that, in my opinion, is a very long and a very successful amount of time to have mm -hmm. a gym. So 24 is, is incredible. Good for you. So then I got into health and fitness, and uh, I just love it. You know, I have uh, certifications. I'm also a certified uh, sports medicine chiropractic. I'm also a, a diplomat in nutrition, so I'm a clinical nutritionist as well, too. Uh, I do have been doing ART for active release technique for what, 20, 25 years now. Wow. Yeah. Good results with ART. Oh yeah. Very good results. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. Is, does PNF tie into ART or is that two totally different things? Two totally different things. I yeah. mean, uh, ART active release technique is breaking up, you know, scar tissue adhesions that have developed. Um, it's a form of myofascial release. Um, it's something that we, you know, utilize on the muscles. We do it on the tendons, ligaments, even people who have uh, uh, peripheral uh, nerve injuries and stuff like that. We can use that with that too. So uh, someone comes in and they have uh, numbness, let's say, in these three fingers uh, on the palm side. You know, that's generally a median nerve issue. So I work on the median nerve in addition to working on the neck aspect because that's where the nerves come from for that. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of good success with that with people who have uh, tennis elbow, lateral epicondylitis. Uh, medial epicondylitis, which is golfer's elbow. I mean, all these different things. We had a gentleman came in a work comp claim uh, with tennis elbow. Uh, we had to fix that. But not only that, he also had some shoulder and neck issues too. So I called the his uh, human resources lady at his job and I said, this is what's going on. And she said, yep, go ahead and fix that too. So we fixed all of it and he's been healthy now for the last five years. Oh, that's great news. What a good success story. I wish yes. I would have known about you and ART. Um, I had ulnar nerve issues. Um, so I had a a transposition, subcutaneous transposition about 15 years ago. 
not mm. that good results. I, I wish I would have gone ART first before getting the surgery, but that's great. You're having good success with that. Yeah. You can still do ART even after having surgery too. So we have oh. a number of patients that come into my office who uh, have had either like a cervical fusion or a lumbar fusion or whatever else. And they say, Oh, I can never go see a chiropractor. Yes, you can. But the areas that are fused, let's say you have L4, L5 in your lower back uh, fused. Okay, well, obviously I'm not going to adjust L4, L5, but I can adjust L3 and above, and I can adjust below L5 and take care of that because the surrounding disc spaces and joint spaces above and below will generally have a harder hit because they basically lost one of their brothers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So you had five lumbar vertebrae to be born with, and now you only have four. But you have four doing the job of five. Yeah. And so you're the discs above and below generally will take a stronger hit. So we got to keep those healthy as well too. So we go ahead and adjust those areas. Uh, we can do ART or, you know, once the fusion has healed, we can do ART over the area there, scar tissue, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, definitely you can still go see a chiropractor or a physical therapist or whoever uh, to get that stuff taken care of. That's, that's very helpful. Um, the gym I train in the across the street, we have a chiropractic studio with ART next mm -hmm. door. I'm going to hit him up today and <laughs> be like, get a trade going here. There you go. There get you go. a little better. I cool. love it. Well, that's really fascinating. And then I know also you did semi-pro uh, football for a long time too. Yeah, I played semi-pro semi football for 10 years. Yeah. So I stopped powerlifting. My last competition was in 2005. Uh, in 2006, um, I, at age 38, decided to uh, you know try my hand at semi-pro football. And a lot of people thought I was a little bit, uh, you know, cuckoo in the head there because at age 38, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, but you know, when I graduated from high school, I was 170 pounds and six foot one. Now it was, you know, 280, 285 and six one. I was very strong power lifting and everything else, but I never, I enjoyed football. I've only played one year in high school. I played my senior year in high school. Um, so I enjoyed it immensely. Um, so I went ahead and decided to look at some semi-pro teams around my Fort Wayne area there's a team called the Lima Warriors, which is Lima, Ohio, which is about 70 miles from us. So I would go there twice a week for practice. So I leave after I get done with the clinic. I drive over there with another Fort Wayne guy. We practice, come back. And then on Saturdays, we play our games. And the next year, I moved to a team a little bit more local to me, about 20 miles away, uh, called the Adams County Patriots. They're in uh, Decatur, Indiana, uh, which is about 20, 25 miles south of here. And that's the team we had really good success with. We actually went uh, undefeated for two years. Uh, we won the national title in 2008 down in uh, Homestead, Florida, at the national championship game. Uh, so we had really good success. And then after that, we went and played for the, the – uh, when that team, we decided to close it down at some point. I played for another team called the Miami County Blitz, uh, North Miami uh, uh, County High School in uh, Indiana here. And uh, they were a great team as well, too. We had some good success with them. So definitely enjoy going out there. It's, you know, um, I tell my patients, I take my uh, my anger, my my uh, energies out on the foot players so that uh, I'm nice and gentle in the chiropractic office. Well, that's good that you take that uh, yin-yang <laughs> approach because you're a big, strong guy. <laughs> Got to yes. get that out. Yeah, so my uh, position I played was nose tackle, defensive tackle. And I enjoyed that immensely. They would occasionally throw me on like offensive line if they needed someone to sub in or whatever else because I was a big body. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll be honest with you, I just hated playing offense. Yeah. Uh, I just could not stand it. To, the way my brain works, my brain works in an attack mode. So, you know, 
see the ball, eat the ball, that kind of thing, thought process. Whereas, you know, offensive line, I had to finish pass blocking. I had, I had to take a couple steps back while the guy comes at me full speed. I didn't quite understand that. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize it's rules of football, but still, I would want to be on attack mode. So I liked run blocking, obviously, quite well. Um, but, yeah, so that, that kind of drove me nuts. So that's why I enjoyed defense uh, immensely. That's awesome. So a very tactical kind of mindset, just go after the ball. That's right. That's I love right. it. I love it. Oh, this is awesome, Doc. Um, all right. So what is your favorite exercise for yourself <laughs> and to teach? The deadlift. Um, you know, I enjoy, for example, let's talk about the SFL, the, the, bar, the barbell mm-hmm. certification. I enjoy all the seven lifts that we teach through that. Um, I was, when I was powerlifting, um, you know, people would call me a subtotal God, meaning that I would have a very high squat, very high bench. And the deadlift I hung on for dear life. Subtotal means you add your best squat to your best bench, and then you deadlift after that for your total. And so if we ended the meet at the end of bench, I'd be happy because I would always do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, the deadlift, I have a long torso. I don't have short arms, but I have a long torso um, and, and short, shorter legs, shorter arms. So to deadlift, the barbell generally comes up right below my crotch. Whereas when you look at Lamar Gant, uh, famous 132 pounder who pulled, I'm, I'm guessing a number here, maybe 690, you know, at 132, I mean, wow. almost f- over four times his body weight, um, that, you know, but he would lock out the bar just above his kneecaps. Mm-hmm. You know, now granted he had not only a long arm, short torso, long legs, but he also had some, uh, scoliosis in his spine that would actually shorten his, shorten his spine while he was deadlifting. Wow. Uh, and they have x-rays of his spine while he was deadlifting. So they could see that. And so he, his bar would rest maybe just the top of his knees where at that point for me, I'm only halfway done with the lift. Right. So, you know, so I, I enjoy teaching all of this, even though the deadlift is maybe my, I won't say nemesis, but it's my worst move. You could say I still end up pulling 635. Wow. Um, so it's, which is a strong deadlift and everything else. Um, so I, I trained it. I didn't go into the meet thinking I was going to do poorly or anything else. Um, but you know, it's, 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 I love teaching all the movements. Um, a good morning exercise. Um, I love the good morning exercise. Um, we don't spend a lot of time at the SFL because the start of the good morning is very similar to the back squat. You know, you stand up in the rack, you step back. So if I walked into gym at that moment, I could not tell whether either you're doing a back squat or a good morning until you started to move your hips mm-hmm. and the direction you moved your hips. And I saw you would have minimal knee flexion and you have maximal hip flexion. Um, then I can see you're doing a good morning, but the good morning opens up a lot of eyeballs at the SFL because the next day in the deadlift, when we teach as far as getting that maximal tension back in your hamstrings and glutes, they go, Oh, he said that. Yes. Okay. I get, I'm starting to put like the little Legos together, you mm-hmm. know, and now you got a beautiful art project, but you have a thousand pieces of Legos on a table. You don't know what it's going to look like. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, rearrange the order of the um, agenda of the SFL. And we did that so that, they, that, that you teach this and it builds on this and it builds on that and builds on that and everything else with that. Um, but yeah, so I can't really tell you a favorite exercise. I love all of them. Sure. Um, I'm good at the bench press. You know, I benched uh, 242 and a half kilos, which is 535, 534 actually. Um, I think I did 535 in a meet too. So strong in the bench press. Um, you know, but again, you know, uh, and that's one of the things I always tell people that they don't say the bench press is not a very 
functional movement. Um, the bench press isn't, in my opinion, a functional movement because it helped me play football. Right. Meaning that there are a lot of times, and you probably heard me say this at the SFL, where I had two offensive linemen double teaming me. So I had 600 pounds, you know, two, 300 pound guys, man meat, I call it, mm-hmm. coming at me. My job was to either stay, stay my ground or to split them and go between them. And uh, I was successful most of the time. Sometimes I wasn't. Um, but again, I had to have a strong upper body to be able to have one hand here, one hand here, but at the same time, a very strong lower body and core to be able to handle that stress. Um, so. No, that's well explained. Um, you know, honestly, during the, the SFL, the one that I was most intrigued with was a Zercher squat. I really enjoyed that. I know a lot of people didn't because of the abrasions potentially in the arms, but I thought it was a fantastic lift. If you do it the way we teach it, where you, you know, you want to come at the bar with your elbows straight. And then mm-hmm. once you're at the elbow, the bar is deep in your antecubital fossa or your elbow right there, then you fold around it. You you'll, might have a little bit of red skin for a little while, but mm-hmm. other than that, you're not going to have anything. Uh, uh, yeah. we, some people will wear an elbow sleeve. Some people, we tell them to wear a long sleeve t-shirt or sweatshirt or whatever to kind of protect the skin if they want. But once they get used to it, you know, it's like Pavel said at the very first SFL in Italy, he said, your comfort is not our concern. I love it. He's got a lot of good quotes. And so do you. Well, you have a lot you. of good quotes. Well, well he, said, he said that he was talking about the, uh, the front squat and putting the bar as far as in the collarbones. And obviously a lot of people are like, you know, ouch, that hurts or whatever else. But it's like anything else in life. Once you, once you get used to that discomfort, now it's not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you have discomfort and it could be, you know, um, even not just physical discomfort, you can have financial discomfort, you can have academic discomfort, relationship, all those different things. Once you learn to deal with that, then also the, the uncomfortable becomes comfortable. And then now you just go into the gym, you put the bar in your, your collarbone or there's the bar in your elbows or whatever else. And now you're just doing your lift. Now you're focused on the actual lift, not the discomfort that's possibly there or no longer there. Oh, I love that. And I think when you touch on that on different levels too, that's mm-hmm. really, really awesome. Yeah, the discomfort allows you the ends justify the means. And then the discomfort is where growth comes from too. Not just in the gym, but in life too. Like if you don't have discomfort and challenges, you're probably not going to grow and progress as a person either. Well, it's like if you uh, wanted to do some financial investing or you want to put a 401k or an IRA investment vehicle and all of a sudden you say, man, I can't afford that. But, you know, okay, well, I'm going to put $200 a month away and I'm going to do that. And that's $200 less that you can spend going out to the bar, going out to eat or going to movies or whatever else. Also, next thing you know, a couple months later, you forget about that 200. It's still going in every month, mm-hmm. but you forget about it. And now it's so the uncomfortable, it's more between the ears than it actually is uncomfortable. Now all of a sudden you kind of forget about that and you're now making more money elsewhere or something like that to be able to satisfy your needs and desires at that point. So again, you know, whether you're uncomfortable physically or financially or whatever, academically, you know, I, I live by a phrase that, uh, that which does not kill me will make me stronger. Yeah. Love that one. And I've had, you know, enough stress in my life at various times and everything else where I just, I literally say that to myself and you know, that will actually help me deal with it at that point and then move forward from there. I love it, doc. That's really good advice on a lot of levels. Um, you know, you had a really good line that I've been reflecting on a lot and I probably miss saying it something to the effect of there's no case in which being strong has not helped something to that effect. How do you word it? Basically there's many advantages to being strong, but there's also more disadvantages to being weak. Yeah. 
you know, so for example, you know, they did a, um, uh, a group study on people in nursing homes. And this is, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hopefully not misquoting the study, but basically this is kind of the meat of it, that they basically did a random grip, you know, use a, a, a datamometer to measure your grip strength, you measure your foot pounds on it. And they found that at a certain level, okay, a foot pounds, I don't remember the number, but below that level, these people were usually admitted to a nursing home or assisted living. Above mm -hmm. that, they weren't. And generally, when you go and grip something, so let's say it's a laundry basket, let's say it's a 50-pound uh, bag of rock salt, whatever else type thing, okay, you can grip those things. When you can grip that, that means you're actually carrying 50 pounds, mm -hmm. okay, or your laundry basket, which is maybe 20 pounds or whatever, how heavy your laundry is. You can carry that up the stairs, okay? So you can, you, when your grip strength is strong, that means you're picking stuff up. Okay. And not necessarily a barbell or a kettlebell or body weight, but just normal human stuff as far as around the house. Uh, when you're not doing that stuff, the, your grip strength starts to go. Remember the uh, old use it or lose it mentality. Yep. Okay. And it's very true. Um, if you use it, you keep it strong. If you start not using it, you will lose it. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be your uh, endurance training, whether it be your strength training or whatever else, even your mental aspect too. If you're not using your mind on a regular basis, you will lose the ability. Now it can come back. You know, our brain, there's many studies nowadays about neuroplasticity as far as the brain actually remodeling. When I was, I think when we started chiropractic school, they were saying that, you know, once you're kind of set, you're set. But then studies have shown, study after study after study, that you can do that. So same thing with the grip strength. If you start losing it, you can get it back and everything else. So if you are an older person, you know, I'd recommend you, you know, get with a strong first instructor, um, get, learn how to use a kettlebell. Kettlebell is a great entry into the strength aspect. Mm -hmm. um, body weight and barbell are two. I started with the barbell. I never knew what a kettlebell or a cannonball with a handle was. Mm -hmm. um, and everything else. So many, actually, until after I got done with uh, powerlifting, so I found out then, but anyways, I started with the barbell, but I recommend most people start with a kettlebell, you know, do some kettlebell deadlifts, do some goblet squats, some two basic, very basic moves um, that we unfortunately lose a lot of range of motion and strength with, you know, throughout life. So back to that study. So we, when they found that, they said, okay, now we want to keep you st training strong. Um, so again, if you keep your grip strength strong, generally you'll stay at the nursing home. Now, obviously there's a, not a, 100% correlation with that, sure. but there is a, a strong correlation that you want to keep your grip strength strong, which means you're picking up heavy stuff, you're doing all that kind of stuff um, to to stay strong and keep the mind going. No, I love that. Um, both my folks were in assisted living and skilled nursing before that. And yeah, you can see people like in my neighborhood, I have an 85 year old lady who does her own gardening and she's very fit and she walks mm -hmm. her dogs. Yep. It's amazing. Like, just like you said, they use it or lose it. And, um, and it, yeah, like you said, it goes for all levels, not just uh, physical, also cognitive. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, and as a matter of fact, they've done studies nowadays and they're saying that exercise, um, actually just doing the act of exercise actually enhances brain function. Oh, I like that. And a lot of people, you know, because we used to, we kind of separated the body and the parts, you know, and now they're saying, okay, exercise actually enhances your brain. So for example, on, um, on uh, Mondays and Fridays at my clinic at lunchtime, I will generally go into my gym and do uh, kind of a light, light uh, kettlebell training, some mobility stuff and ride the bike for a while and everything else, some light training stuff. But after that, my brain comes alive. And when I do stretching or whatever else, it's kind of a moment of kind of, um, of moving meditation, so to speak. Now, granted, I'm listening to plenty of Metallica in the background, plenty of Megadeth, ACDC, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So it's not a pure meditation aspect, but 
I usually keep a, a, a pad of uh, post-it notes nearby and a pen because all of a sudden an idea will come and I'll quickly go write it down and then I'll go back to what I'm doing. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. No, like, like you said, Doc, my, my methods of, of exercise are the kettlebell and training like we do. And also those right there, those split boards. So I'll go up, climb a mountain. And as you're doing so, like you said, active meditation, you know, walking in the blizzard five degrees or less and have an idea. I'll get out my little recorder on my, my iPhone mm-hmm. or pad of paper and just like, okay, we can, that's a good idea and act on that. Right. And yeah. So I definitely understand what you're saying. Oh, yes. Very Most cool. Definitely. And also I like cold therapy. I love the cold. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Cold where it's well, at. Well, you know, I like the cold, so. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we had the very first uh, U.S. Uh, SFL in Tucson, Arizona at Danny Suez gym down there in July 2013. And I think the temperature was like outside was like 106 or 108. Oh, yeah. And I remember going into Danny's gym and he had, um, he had a good sized gym at that point, And he had, I think, two air conditioners and uh, one was on. And I said, OK, I said, will you have both on tomorrow? He says, yeah. So I get there tomorrow and uh, it was, yeah, he had it on, but it didn't do a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so pretty much when I was not at the hotel, I was sweating all day, but it was still a beautiful scene. It was a great work. We had like about 60 different students there. You know, it was, it was, it was a good cert. I enjoyed it very much. So people say, well, if you like the cold so much, how do you play football? And, you know, we play football in 95 degree heat in the summertime with full NFL gear on. Yeah. Trust me, if you want a weight loss program, you put that stuff on, play for three hours, and I'll lose 10 pounds. Oh, for sure. Uh, now, granted, most of it's water weight, but still, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I don't have a problem sweating if it's for a purpose. And yeah, I like obviously, that. teaching or playing or activity outside, that's a purpose. Just sitting outside enjoying a nice Guinness and maybe a little ice cream mm-hmm. doesn't work very well when it's that, that hot outside. <laughs> oh, so, I love it. And, and also to that point, you can always stress to the cold. You can't always escape the heat. Which is exactly, a, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of fitness, um, did you have any mentors that helped guide you along your path for fitness and health? Well, like I mentioned before, the three gym owners of the elite gym yeah. in Minnesota, Dale Valancourt, uh, Dan Carls, and Jerry Jones, um, they were uh, definitely some interesting uh, men. Um, Dale's probably the one I'm closest to. He was in, uh, he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. Um, oh, cool. And everything else. So, uh, but Dale, we, we talk every so often. Um, Pavel obviously is a mentor. Um, he uh, was one who, you know, him, uh, Mark Rifkin, they taught me kettlebells. They were at my first cert. Brett Jones was my team leader at that cert. Nice. Um, so it was one of those things where those guys are mentors of mine in the kettlebell world. Um, uh, Craig Levinson, who's a doctor of chiropractic in Los Angeles. Uh, he's my mentor as far as uh, chiropractic rehab. Matter of fact, we, um, I have an attached garage to my clinic, which we eventually turned into a 400 square foot, uh, uh, training room slash rehab room. So we, we use it back there. Matter of fact, if you walked in there from the clinic, you could not tell that it was a garage. Matter of fact, the, the old garage door is no longer there. It's a nice double door and everything else. Um, and so I think it was in, I can't remember what year it was, but two, early two thousands, I flew out to Los Angeles, uh, worked with Craig. We spent a whole day there. And then we came back and I put together a rehab assessments form, which includes the FMS and a bunch of other tests and everything else I think are important. And then I run every one of my patients through that. And then we basically get, get, provides me a blueprint of which exercise to give them some strength exercises, uh, mainly body weight, but eventually we get into just some kettlebell. Sometimes we even get some barbell stuff uh, down the road with people. But, it, you know, those are some mentors of mine um, in that regard. Wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. There's a lot of good names in there. And I've had a chance to work with Brad Jones too. 
what a wonderful instructor. Just yes. great, yep. great guy. Yeah, he does and a great then, job as our director of education now, too. He's a, a great instructor with all that. He is. And you know, like you, he's really good about giving you really clear instructions. I was doing uh, my goblet squat pretty deep, getting quite a bit of winking. He was like, stop going so deep. I was like, oh, right. fair enough. And like you said, with my snatch, I was like, I'm getting a little strain in my bicep. And you're like, don't go past, you know, here, just don't go hyperextend. Right. Oh, duh. Never thought about that. Thanks, Doc. So <laughs> little nuggets like that go a long ways, you know, but That's you don't right. know until somebody more experienced, a great mentor like you uh, points that out. And to your point too, about bringing in other modalities, you know, FMS working so well with strong first. Mm -hmm. And then I just signed up with uh, John and Matthew for the flexible steel here in a few months over the oh, gym. Excellent. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And that'll be hosted over at Ryan's gym where you did the SFL. Oh, in Colorado. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I was like, Matt, please bring it here. I'll be oh, the first cool. one to sign up. So looking Excellent. forward to that. Yeah. Well, good. I didn't know John was doing that there. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's in September of this year. Okay. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Ryan and I are definitely doing it and Dan as well. Um, yeah. It's, it's cool too. Like when I was at the strong endurance event, uh, the very first one here in Denver and you had like the team leader meeting, you had Eric Frohart and you had uh, Brett and you had Fabio and you had all, you had all the guys there. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, the common language between uh, strong first and TRX and Greg Cook was there and everybody was speaking a similar language and it was really cool. And they gave me a lot of hope that the fitness industry would kind of unite on a common front to try and help more people and less, less hit kind of based workouts and uh, right. crushing people. So it was really I cool agree. to see that. Yeah. Well then Pavel's, you know, uh, recent work with strong endurance. Um, mm -hmm. he, you know, with his, his, uh, immense uh, study in that field there has helped as far as basically say, listen, you don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to go in the corner and puke in a bucket and come mm -hmm. back and everything else to get yourself healthy and strong and, and have more endurance and strength endurance and everything else. So if you, if you ever have, don't have a chance to, or if you have a chance to go see strong endurance, go to it. I recommend that. I think he's got uh, one in the U S or two in the U S this year, uh, one in Europe or something like that. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, strong endurance is very much um, the very first version of it. Um, there is a, a fair amount of biochemistry, which a little bit. Um, yeah. I've, so when I went through chiropractic school, we had biochemistry, which I absolutely loved. Um, so I was, I was like just listening to him speak and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Remember that people are just the eyeballs are spinning in the back of their head. But then the second version, he tweaked some of that and didn't go quite into much as much biochemistry and spoke more about the practical applications. And it was, it was great. First one was great too, but the second one was even better. Again, you know, you, you tweak things exactly. and, uh, by doing that, it actually made things a lot better. But uh, if you got a chance, go, go listen to him at strong endurance. It's fantastic information. It is. And now second one, doc said, um, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. I had pages and I went through two pens in that course, just taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are we learning? This is way beyond my, my head. But uh, in practice, it works very well. You know, I picked Eric Frohart's brain. I said, Eric, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing the 033C. So we did 033C. We compared notes. We did 044. And then we wrote that paper together for Strong First. And um, I, personally, in my life, as well as people I train, has seen such good results using that more structured, less crushing, mitochondrial happy training mechanisms. And it just worked amazing. So like you said, anybody who takes their health and fitness seriously and as a coach should definitely check out Strong Endurance. 
just a point there. You said 033 and 044. People who don't know what those are, mm-hmm. those are the plans that Pavel put together in Strong Endurance. So if you follow the 033 plan, it tells you how to do it. If you do the 044 plan, it tells you how to do it. So those are just the name of the plan. So just yes. wanted to share that with your audience there. Oh, good clarification. There's a lot of plans in the book too. There's oh, some yeah. I haven't looked at yet because they're just so deep uh, in the in the in t- intellectual stuff. Well, but, we have the same thing in the SFL manual too, as far as tons of programs in there. So people have do have favorites and they like to uh, come back to them. I do tell them every so often, you know, do some take a left turn, take a right turn, do something a little bit different with that. But you know, some people like the strong first foolproof program. Some people like as far as power of the people. Some people like the uh, Stravinsky cycle. So it just depends on who you are and what you find and everything else with that. And same thing with strong endurance as well too. No, you're, you're very right in that. And what I enjoyed too about, I think it was a day two or day three, we sat down and spent a good over an hour talking about planning for the SFL, planning for the, that individual in the class or their students. Right. And you made it make sense. It wasn't right. like super heady. It was just, here's how to apply it, get it done. Well, you know, and that's one of the things my goal as far as when we teach the programming stuff and again, the exercises as well, too. But the idea is that Monday morning, so we we teach Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday morning, when you go back to your gym, um, we want you to have the tools available to take one of your students and say, okay, this is what we're going to do and everything else. We want you to be equipped as a student, as an instructor, to be able to go back Monday morning and teach them what they need to know, both from a programming aspect, also from a training aspect, both things would be very applicable with that. Absolutely. There were so many really well-explained exercises in there. One of my favorites that I've got everybody doing is the Hartle plank. Can you explain (laughs) what the Hartle plank is? The Hartle plank, so you have a normal hard style plank, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're, you're on your elbows, your toes are on the floor and everything else. And basically your, your glutes are squeezed, your abs are tight, your lats are engaged, everything's with that. Okay. Um, Most people, they do it at plank properly. They shouldn't be able to last more than 30 seconds, maybe 45. The outliers, maybe 60 seconds, but even still, that's even difficult to do that. Um, the hardle plank something I started corporate started uh, testing with my patients, and I started had seen some good success with that. And basically, it's taking that tension volume knob and going from say five or six with the regular plank and turning it up to ten. So it's like listening to Metallica when Inner Sandman comes on. Mm-hmm. You listen to it at five, or you listen to it at ten. I listen to it at ten, okay. But you know, you listen to it at five, that's fine. Um, but the thing is, is that with the hardle plank, basically, it's you're isometrically contracting your elbows mm-hmm. and pulling them down towards your waist, okay. You're then taking your toes, okay, which are in, you know, your foot's in dorsiflexion and your toes are in extension. You're now driving them straight into the ground. So if you were, let's say, hanging from a pull-up bar and let's say you're just hanging vertically and all of a sudden you took your, uh, your legs from the hip down and you kept them straight and you brought them up to like an L-sit, okay? So you're mm-hmm. doing hip flexion with that. So you want to be able to do that during the plank. But the interesting conundrum with that is the fact that your weight, you're supposed to be squeezing, squeezing your glutes. But the only way you can bring your hips in the hip flexion is if you relax your glutes. So it's like if I took my arm and I did this, okay, I have my bicep and tricep maximally flexed. So if you were to try to do this or do this, you could not move either direction. Okay. Same. Mm-hmm. So it's an isometric contraction. So you basically, you're, you're increasing the isometric contraction um, of the hard plank. And I didn't call it that. That was Pavel. I showed, I showed it to him at his last Naked Warrior seminar mm-hmm. he held, I think, in 2012. And he was gracious enough to call it that. Um, so we've kept that in the manual and everything else. But what I recommend a lot of people when they do that, that they 
don't go from doing a hard style plank to doing that right away. So the elbows and feet. So you want to be able, I would go from the hard style plank to maybe spend a week or two with just the elbows. Okay. And then a week or two with just the feet and then put the two pieces together. And That's good else. advice. All right. Yeah. Excellent. So it's like a progression there. And generally you can maybe 10 seconds, 20 seconds, max, maybe 30 seconds, a lot of tension there. A lot of right. tension. And if a person's doing it for more than 10 or 20 seconds, they're probably not contracting enough. Right. Like they're just, if they're doing uh, what? If they haven't, if they're, if they're lasting more than 20 or 30 seconds, they're probably not contracting enough. Right. They're, not, they're probably losing the contraction. Exactly. So something's not, you know, so one of the things I teach when I teach the plank to my patients and the students at the barbell or even kettlebell cert, I teach them tuck tight and squeeze, mm-hmm. tuck your pelvis, tighten your abs, squeeze your glutes last, but you need to do it in that order because if you squeeze your glutes too early, then it's hard to tuck your pelvis with that. So when you squeeze your glutes, it's like I, I like, like, like you close your, your house door, okay? You close the door. That's tuck and tighten. Squeezing it is locking the deadbolt. Door's already closed. Now you're just making sure it stays closed, and that's why you're locking the deadbolt. So same thing here with the glute squeeze. It's locking the deadbolt. So if you squeeze your glutes a little bit too early, you're not going to get the tuck tighten done properly. I love it. So it's tuck, tight, squeeze. Tuck, tight, and squeeze, yep. Perfect. Yep. Put that in the show notes. That's very helpful. Oh, I love it. And you mentioned Metallica. So uh, I like Metallica quite a bit too. And uh, it's kind of fun. I had not listened to Metallica in uh, 15 to 20 years until the SFL. And then we listened to nothing but Metallica, which I liked. And it brought back a lot of good memories. Um, what is your favorite Metallica song? Well, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say Enter Sandman. I know a lot uh, of people yeah. liked other stuff there too, but... Um, Inner Salmon's one, Seek and Destroy. Seek and Destroy is a song that I listened to uh, as I was getting dressed for a football game. Because in my mind, in my mind, the defensive job was to seek out and destroy. Now, obviously, uh, I play within the rules. I never uh, hurt anyone or I intended to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. Would, you know, someone made me mad. I didn't go look for their knee and take their knee out and everything else. We all had, we all had to go to work on Monday. Right. So we're semi-pro, which means we actually pay to play. Um, so in that regard, but seek and destroy is one of my favorite songs. Um, they had a song on death magnetic album called all nightmare long. It's a long song. Um, but it, you can hear the drums very well with Lars Ulrich. Um, you know, just the, the words on it all nightmare long. It's just, you know, it kind of appeals to me in that regard. You know, it, it's funny because when I'm, I was listening, we trained hard at the gym one day and we're going home with one of my kids was with me and, and all of a sudden I, I put on uh, Beethoven on my, uh, my truck radio and he looked at me going he thought like i was on drugs like i was losing my mind my eyeballs are coming out of my head why listen to beethoven dad i said well i just cranked out a hard workout i listened to some heavy metal music and everything else i need myself to calm down and mm-hmm. it's more for my cns uh, nervous system and everything else to calm down so i put some beethoven on uh listened to some of the symphonies and everything and by the time i got home i was nice and relaxed and everything else but at that point when i left the gym i was just like you know, ready to break something in half or whatever else kind of thing. So you know, it's um, when I, co- I used to coach youth football. So when we say we tell the kids flip the switch. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the game, when you get dressed and everything else, now it's time to flip the switch. You're not nice old Johnny. Now you're going to go out there and, and play an aggressive, assertive game. You're going to have some physical contact and everything else. Don't hurt the other kids. Matter of fact, if you knock them down, put your hand out and help them back up and then knock right. them down again. Yeah, and help them back up. But again, be gracious enough as a nice Christian to be able to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so same thing here with that aspect. So we need to be able to flip the switch. And 
So that, that's, you know, so a lot of people are surprised that I listen to that stuff. We, um, every year in Fort Wayne, they have a holiday pops, which is where they have the Fort Wayne symphony and they spend about two hours playing some of the typical Christmas music, but it's all orchestra. Yeah. So I love listening to that stuff. Cause to me, that's how music started, you know, mm-hmm. violin and cellos and trumpets and drums and everything else, all that stuff together. Um, but back to Metallica, sorry, I yes. kind of digress there. Um, let's see what else. Um, uh, Kill 'em All. I like mm-hmm. that song. That was off their first album. Um, everything else. Um, let's see what else is. Just yeah. So Leper Messiah. That's one of my favorite ones. That's yeah. an old song. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they when they did the Black Album, which is where Enter Sandman was on, you had Sad but True. I like that song too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another song called Of Wolf and Man. Yep. Um, but they, they they hired Bob Rock as a producer, and so they shortened some of the songs. And that's actually one of the best selling albums of all time. Um, they went from their six, seven, eight minute ballads that they had on the Injustice for All, Ride the Lightning and everything else to these shorter songs. Load has some shorter, Reload has some shorter. Um, and then when they came out with St. Anger, they kind of took a right turn, then another left turn and a right turn with that one uh, album. Death Magnetic started bringing them back and Hardware, I think, kind of brought them back again, uh, which is their last album. Oh, that's awesome. You, you know, as a Metallica fan, a fanatic, I should say, yeah, when the Black Album came out and they brought Bob Rock on for like more production skill mm-hmm. and value and depth, yeah, it made everything sound good. But as like a, a Metallica fanboy, I was always about Justice and Master Puppets. Right. Yeah, Orion, like those big opuses. And to your point- I love Orion. I love oh, that song. Me too. It's my favorite by far. And then um, about classical, my, my favorite kind of classical is Baroque. So like Bach, you know, Johann Sebastian mm-hmm. Bach. And like you said, uh, the- dichotomy like the give and the take the yin to the yang it takes balance if you're all out all the time you're going to break which is kind of why i got sick last week after 100 meetings with like patagonia and stuff went went too much and didn't have enough of this but um it's cool that you have that balance too and you can appreciate classical well i like other music too i like megadeth acdc five finger death punch you know all these different bands like that so i have a playlist on my phone i call heavy metal and it basically has a lot of different uh there obviously a lot of metallica's on there but a lot Mm -hmm. of other bands as well too um uh, Mike Seuss of Fabio Zona and got me listening to Slayer. I like some of their songs as well, oh, too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of their aspect has had some good music as well, too. So, you know, it, it's for me when I'm training in a gym, I need to listen to that stuff. Yeah. Matter of fact, I used to have a former bookkeeper who came in. My gym's attached to my clinic. So when I work out in there, I tell them the door's closed, keep the door closed. Um, if you need to come in, you know, come in. But she came in and she, I had a slipknot on there. I had uh, psychosocial. And so I paused and she says, Dr. Mike, when I hear that song, all I want to do is choke the crap out of you. That, that song makes me want to do. I mean, she's a very nice lady, very gentle lady, but she goes, when I hear that, I just all I want to do. So uh, I know that music can sometimes in, in, uh, make people uh, angry or whatever, but to me, it's like, ah, it's beautiful music to me. So Yeah. And it gets you in the right mind space to go lift some heavy metal. Exactly. And when yeah. I was playing football, I listened to it before I go on the field. So I went on that field with the right mindset. I wasn't on the field uh, adjusting one of my patients or talking to a colleague or whatever else. I was there to hit someone. I got it. That's awesome. No, I really appreciated it too because I, I had kind of tabled Metallica for a long time. And so when I was listening to it, I was putting up numbers on the barbell that I hadn't ever attempted to before. And so it helped me get in the right mindset too. And also being around you and the great coaches, uh, Enrique and Laura, who I still have her her uh, deadlift socks, which are just ski socks. And so it goes back to her. They're pink and they have unicorns on them. My, my wife is confused why I have those. 
But um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was it was a really fun course. Well, when we were there, Ryan uh, put on a Metallica. Um, I think it was like um, who was it? A Pandora or whatever else. Mm-hmm. You know, there he put Metallica playlist on there. So I usually have a playlist on my phone if they have Bluetooth, I can hook into it. But then he just put it on there, so it was good. So they played some good Metallica songs. So it was good stuff. Oh, they sure did. Well, um, as we're getting towards the end here, is there any kind of advice you'd give to uh, coaches or entrepreneurs or fitness professionals out there? You know, I would say to uh, strength coaches and even just personal trainers, you know, get some training. Mm-hmm. Um, here in the United States, we do not require, you can have a high school education and that's it. You can call yourself a personal trainer from, you know, you graduate from high school, you can call yourself a personal trainer. There's no uh, continued education credits. Uh, in Brazil, for example, um, they have to have a physical education degree before they can become a personal trainer. Wow. Um, so yeah, so my girlfriend who's down there, uh, she's going through that right now and everything else. So, you know, get some training. Um, obviously strong first, we do have a number of training we got as far as barbell, kettlebell, body weight. Um, I'd recommend going to all three. All three are very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, we also have some program. We have plan strong, um, which is a little bit more, um, advanced than what we teach to programming at the barbell cert and everything else. Barbell, we talk about more linear and nonlinear progressions and stuff like that. Uh, plan strong is based off of Pavel's research into the, uh, the Soviet Russian system as far as programming, which is fantastic actually. And I know Fabio's wrote many good programs for, uh, people that have done well, uh, with that. Um, but again, there's many world champions in powerlifting who have been, um, uh, used straight linear progression and did very well with that. So, you know, it's it basically, it's how you decide you want to go, um, but get some training, you know, go to an FMS, learn how to do that, do some assessment aspect. Um, there's other assessment tools out there. I personally feel the FMS SFMA is the best out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, SFMA is for people who are doctors or like physical therapists, people like that. FMS is for everyone. Um, you can do that. I would get a, a fitness certification. I'm a CSCS for the NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association. CSCS is Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. I've been that since 1992. Oh, wow. uh, I was one of, the, one of the first chiropractors in the United States. I think I've got that. Um, so I've had that for years. Uh, it works great. Um, but even a CPT, if you don't have a college degree, mm-hmm. uh, a CPT, Certified Personal Trainer, is good. Get some CPR training so you can handle it. You know, be a first responder. Someone all of a sudden is doing a kettlebell workout or doing some riding a cycle or whatever, and all of a sudden they have a heart attack. You can at least help them immediately when someone calls nine one one. You know, do these things. Um, become become very knowledgeable about that. Um, don't just go out there and watch someone do a pec deck for you know eight hours a day. Yeah. Um, and then when you teach someone. Teach them full body exercises, meaning things like like a squat, whether it be a goblet squat, uh, whether it be a kettlebell hack squat. I know Pablo Masek from Czech, he teaches that in his Strong First Resilient course mm-hmm. um, and everything else. So he teaches that and it works very good. I did that for years and everything else. Um, but, you know, become knowledgeable and uh, share that knowledge with your students. Do full body stuff because when you pick up a, a bag of rock salt, when you have to do garden work, like you said, that 85-year-old lady down the street mm-hmm. from you, you know, these are people who are doing whole body stuff. There's nothing where she's doing a, you know, a 10-pound bicep curl and everything else. That's more for bodybuilding. So if you're not a bodybuilder, stay with the full body stuff. That's great advice. And to your point, I've been through the SFB with Karen Smith, fantastic mm-hmm. instructor. A lot to take away from that. SFG three times and SFL with you. Um, yeah, th- that is fantastic advice. 
And it, it's mind boggling to me that you can do that in America without having any kind of certification and call yourself a trainer, which uh, is weird. But um, well, yeah. to, for example, the CSCS, which was what mm-hmm. I am, uh, Brett Jones is that as well too. A few others, us in the leadership are, you do have to have a bachelor's degree or undergrad mm-hmm. degree to be able to sit for the test. True. I have a CPT because I haven't, don't have the degree you guys have. Right. So that, that, that's, but that's a, an organization's standards, not a national or federal standard. Um, Canada has something, they don't have quite the same thing as Brazil, but Brazil is probably one of the more restrictive aspects. So you have to have a physical, physical education degree. Uh, so my girlfriend, she's a doctor of physiotherapy down there. So she's got her DPT, but she still needs a physical education degree to be able to be a personal trainer even though she's already a doctor in another, in another health field. Wow. You know, where, whereas here in the States, you know, if you're generally a doctor, medical, chiropractic, physical therapy, whatever else, you know, people think you understand the whole body. Not everyone does understand the body in those professions, but um, you tend to understand the body better than the average person does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, you know, get some certifications, go to a certification. Um, we just came out with uh, a workshop in Strong First called the Foundations Workshop. Um, Fabio in Italy just put on the first one. Um, it's a, I believe it's a four hour course or something like that. Four or five hour course. It's kind of an introduction. A lot of this, to the, uh, principles and standards that we teach at strong first. So I'm very curious to see how that turns out, but he said he had great results with it and everything else. So I'm very excited for that, but that's a kind of a, a very, um, minimal way for people to get involved with the strong first aspect, uh, with that. That's great. Well, hopefully they offer those more here in America as well. Um, the very first course I took was a, was the intro to kettlebells with mm. Mark Snow and it helped me understand the principles. And then immediately that night I signed up for the SFG that night because it really oh, helped. Cool. Yeah. So it was very inspiring. Well, that's really helpful. Um, any last words of advice, um, um, like quotes or anything that you really live by? Well, one I teach a lot at the SFL is plan to work, work to plan. Yes. You know, but that that quote obviously goes to um, many aspects of life, not just your physical training. It can go to your financial life, your academic, your relationships, plan to work, work to plan. Um, the better, the, the more frequently you do that, the faster you get at doing that. So that's if you have to sit down with a pen and paper all the time, you can sometimes do it in your head. But again, when you put together a plan, so when I would power lift, I'd put together a 12-week plan or eight-week or six-week or whatever else type plan, and I would plan out every workout. Uh, to the point where I actually would plan the weights that I wanted uh, and everything else. Uh, sometimes I had to deviate from that, but that's okay. You know, sometimes you have to, you know, take a right turn or left turn or whatever else with that. But again, as, you, as long as you have a plan, you can access that. If you want to save money, you know, put together a plan. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to throw $200. Where are you going to put the $200? Is, you know, $100 going to go in bonds? $100 going to go in stocks? What are you going to do with all that stuff? You need to have a plan with that. Um, you know, look at the calendar and even in a relationship wise, if you're married or have a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever else that, you know, you want to have, okay, let's do this, let's do that and everything. Um, a book, recent book I'm actually reading, which I'm kind of excited about is called the daily stoic. Oh yeah. It's S T O I C. And, um, Pablo Masek's one who got me kind of interested in it. not that particular book, but kind of reading that of Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, I'm slaughtering his name, uh, Epictetus or whatever, if I pronounce his name properly. Um, these are gentlemen from Greek. Obviously, Marcus was from Rome. Um, so these are people who basically think more logically. So they have actually have in there uh, 366 or 365 days. So every day there's something to read. 
and literally it's like a two or three paragraphs. So it's not a heavy reading or anything else. Um, but a lot of things are actually, um, uh, applied directly to life. Um, and I wish more people would read. I've already just finished the first month of January, obviously I'm out into February. So it has some really good quotes in there. Um, so I recommend, um, people get that book and just, you know, pick it up and read it for 10 minutes a day and you're done. Uh, but it has a lot of good things in there. So, uh, and a lot of things apply. I know Pavel's kind of that Pavel Otsotsalain, the uh, owner and chairman of Strong First. He really does a lot of that stuff. I know Pavel Masek, you know, so it's interesting to hear um, the things uh, in the book. So it's a good book. That's awesome. No, I've uh, definitely been a fan of Stoicism for different reasons over the last several mm-hmm. years. And um, a lot of it is applicable, especially through challenges in life. So Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Without yep. that, I don't know how I get through a lot of stuff I've been through. Well, I'm going to put that book in the show notes so people can benefit from that. Cause that's something that's easily accessible and anybody can read two paragraphs a day. If they can't, then they're not budgeting their time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, doc, I, I can't thank you enough for, for jumping on, on here and for your time and for your wisdom and for your leadership, um, not just in strength training, but in just in, in life in general, you're a really fantastic person. I really appreciate you. So, well, and I appreciate you too. So <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm never able to do this. Me too. Well, Doc, um, all the best to you. Um, where can people find you to learn more about your practice? Um, my practice is Allen County Family and Sports Chiropractic. Um, my website is uh, chiropower.com, so C-H-I-R-O-P-O-W-E-R.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at, at Dr. Michael Hartle. Twitter, same thing, at Dr. Michael Hartle. Facebook, um, so a lot of people can find me pretty much anywhere. Excellent. And I'll put all those in the show notes. And I noticed you had an Instagram for your uh, chiropractic facility too. Yes. That's Cairo power at, at Cairo power. So I just did that. So yes. So we do have that. So awesome. You're very active. Well, doc, thank you for your time and for your expertise. I uh, appreciate mm-hmm. being on the show. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate you as a person and uh, good luck with your podcast and hope things continue to go well for you. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. That was doc Cardle. And I have links in the show notes and where to find doc and you can learn from him and strong first and hire him for other chiropractic needs and all that good stuff. So as always, thanks for your time and I love you for listening. Hey.